Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. TCU beats SMU 34-17. Uh, like a lot of things, it wasn't the prettiest game, and at the same time, it was a dominant game. The Frogs led from, you know, basically after SMU uh, put a field goal on the board, TCU dominated the game from there on out. TCU only gave up two touchdowns. That's two touchdowns in three games. I know there are things to nitpick, and there's things we'll talk about, but my gosh, the Frogs are sitting here at 3-1, and one, rolling into nothing but Big 12 play from here on out. They host the Mountaineers next Saturday night, 7 p.m. on ESPN2. Jeremy, you were there. I know that uh, we got a lot we want to dig into, but just Give me your uh, guttural response. What did you ha- what, what did you take away from the frogs on f- Saturday morning? Sorry, that was a good win. Thirty four seventeen over that team is a pretty good win. I know some people won't give SMU credit in their minds. They're still a little low SMU, but I really feel like that's a pretty good roster. Preston Stone, love him or hate him, he didn't play really well against TCU. Three for two fifty three. Um, Made some corny decisions, but that defense, I'll, I'll give them credit. And, and early in the game thread, I don't even know what page it's on because our game threads, in case you haven't noticed, have exploded to like 43 pages, thousands of responses, think 15,000 views or something crazy like that. So I don't go back and read everything. But I did put early in the game thread that this would be the lowest scoring offensive output TC would have uh, up to this point. And I was right. Because I could just see the way SMU was playing on defense. They played assignment football. They were athletic. Love them or hate them, they they did a really good job in the trenches on defense. So I I really felt like that was a quality win. If you look at my rapid reactions, I I look at SMU. Yeah, they're in a G five conference. They're they're in the American, but I really feel like that was a roster starting with their top twenty two. That's a roster that can compete in a P5 conference, in my opinion. I thought 17 points is a is a very good win in a, in a game that you know they're trying to play their best. It's their Super Bowl, and you just go out there and dominate the way they did. Yeah, let's go ahead and assess SMU here, because I think this this requires us, including myself, to take our purple glasses off. I know that SMU is a game that sparks a lot of response. I know people will say it's not a rivalry, but we talk about this game more on our thread and on our message board than almost anything else. This is a team that constantly, you know, has entered the chat. They are clearly moving to the ACC from the AAC. They're they're investing serious dollars, even though they're not getting any from their conference. Um, they're they're trying to make some bold moves. This. Like you said, this top twenty-two is is their 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 first twenty-two are that's a quality group of folks they're putting on there. They have continued what Sonny did, which is utilizing the transfer portal, not just for guys that washed out, but guys that want to come home, guys that you know maybe you are a backup at Alabama and would start at one hundred and fifteen other schools in the country. They are bringing in some talent. So just assessing if this is the best SMU team that the TCU has faced in a good while. And last year, TCU won by eight, and that game was a that that. I mean, I know that the Frogs had a lead, and then it started to shrink later in the game. But there was a lot of anxiety at the end of that game. I didn't feel that in this game. I felt after TCU scored that first touchdown, they go ahead seven to three. I felt like it was going to be a slugfest where the Frogs would continue to control. I felt more confident in what TCU was doing against SMU this year than I did last year. And we all know what everybody did. We all know what TCU did last year. And we all sit here amongst the angst on our message board and our podcast with our know-it-all fans like ourselves of, of how people feel about TCU right now. So I don't think there's any denying that this is a good team that TCU played. And I, I I know the hesitation as a fan to give them credit, but I think you'll agree with me. There's no denying this is one of the best teams SMU has put out there since the death penalty. Yeah, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. I mean, if you look at Preston Stone, the kid had over 40 offers. He had an Alabama offer. I mean, he had offers from just about every prominent P5 program you could think of. Kamar Wheaton, he was a five-star running back. He's the one that led the, the Mustangs in rushing uh, on Saturday. Then you had Jordan Hudson. Jordan Hudson, he used to be a frog. Everyone knows who Jordan Hudson is. Oh, who's that? <laughs> he was another five-star talent that receiver. And then they have some other guys. Uh, you know, Jordan Curley came in from Arizona State. I mean, there's there's just guys. I think he did. Um, but anyhow, the offensive line is what really impressed me. They were big up front. They, they, they were a lot bigger than what I gave them credit for coming into this game. Um, but, but I think they've got weapons on – the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, they've got some good players too. They have some good corners. I mean, uh, you look at Jonathan McGill, the safety, played a lot of football at Stanford. You got Jahari Rogers, played football at Florida. I mean, you got to just go up and down that list. I would say 
90% of those kids, if not more, had offers from P5 programs. So when I make the statement, that's a P5 program, I'm saying it because of the talent they have on that roster, at least for the starting 22. But I, I really feel like they're going to win a lot of football games. And yeah, they play in a weaker conference, but even Sonny after the game on Saturday said, listen, this is a team that's probably going to be favored by 10 points, by, by at least double digits, probably the next eight or nine games on their schedule. So that's, that's a team right there I'm going to keep an eye on because I really feel like if we look up later on this year, they're probably going to be sitting there with eight or nine wins. And that wouldn't surprise me in the least, but yeah, I mean, it is SMU. People don't want to give them credit, but I'm 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 going to tell you, man. It's it was a really good team, very athletic team, and I think I think they have the makings of of something pretty good over there. You know, I think they do too. I don't I don't know the AAC top to bottom. I know Memphis lost by a touchdown to Mizzou yesterday. I was watching that game. Uh, Tulane is clearly a salty program. They played really well against Ole Miss until the last four or five minutes of the game. There's no reason that SMU can't be in the AAC title game this year. And if they want to, if they want to compete in the ACC, then they they better be able to make those kind of adjustments and win what is clearly a weakened AAC with the with the three best programs in their conference leaving. So. Before we get inside the frogs, which there's plenty of things I want to weigh in on, uh, this is the second straight uh, home game against the non-FCS team where they had over 50,000 people. I believe this is the second largest attendance that TCU has ever had. Number one was against Colorado. I know we all uh, mythologized the game against Utah where Del Conny basically just said, anyone that wants to come into the stadium is welcome to get in here. But that was a ridiculous crowd. And I, I got to say uh, – I can't believe with the heat down there. My brother was at the game and he was sweating me thing, or he was he was texting me about places that were sweating that I can't get into on the Frogcast. But everybody that was at the stadium was telling me how nasty it was. I got to give the Frog fans uh, props and credit because on TV it looked great, and I believe them when they say they're putting that many people in there. What was game day like for you? Because I know you posted on our game thread about fifteen twenty minutes before the kickoff. It looked like a Houston game. Yeah, I was kind of worried about what the crowd was going to look like. It, Jamie and I were up there talking, and the west side wasn't filled in. I guess everyone was still in the uh, club area, um, not wanting to get out in the heat yet, which I don't blame them. I'm I'm in the comfy confines of the press box, so I'm not sitting out in the heat. But, yeah, I thought that was pretty impressive for them to come out there like that. I mean, 51,000 and some change, second highest, like you said, in TCU history. So they're doing good. Um, usually when you look at those type of numbers, especially – Last week at Houston, they said the attendance was 36,000. There is no way in heck that that stadium had 36,000 people in it. It's paid attendance. But when you look at the paid attendance for TCU and you see 51,000, you kind of you kind of look around and think, okay, well, that that's probably pretty accurate because the stadium does look full. Now, we can't see the upper deck above us, obviously. And we could obviously upper see – Upper deck looked great on TV. Yeah, I mean, that's – all I could see is the visitor side and both end zones and kind of the section, uh, the club section. So that all looked great. That all, that all was filled in really good. Students did a phenomenal job getting out there. It was a little bit worrisome. I'm not going to lie. It was a little worrisome about 15 minutes before kickoff, but the fans came through and I'm glad all the guys, um, you know, kiddos got done with their soccer games early and TCU was able to get, they were able to get over there to the TCU game in time. I know my brother left McKinney at nine forty five and he still got to his seat before kickoff. So he he was really proud of that. You know, kid soccer, I get it, you know. He's got he's got a family, he's got a wife, he's gotta make sure everything goes smooth. I get it, I get it. So well, good for you, Frog fans. We need to continue to see that. This, this Saturday night against, uh, you know, we we love night games. It's not gonna be 107. So get out there, tailgate, get into the stadium by the time. We kick off against West Virginia. We should have that place packed. So we'll see how it goes with attendance. One thing I was very happy, and I'm very happy to report, maybe others don't have the same report to give, but I did not hear SMU's band one time. The most annoying band, I'm sorry, SMU fans, you listen, I'm sorry, but y'all's music after every first down or whatever the heck y'all play, I'm so glad I didn't hear it because the band looked like it only had about 20 members over there. The other day, look, it, the band for SMU looked really small um, for whatever reason. But I told Jamie, I said, man, this is so great. I don't have to listen to this SMU band. They didn't have a whole lot of reasons to play, but 
every first down in previous games, you hear that band, you hear that song. And Jamie's pet peeve is OU's uh, band. Mine is 100% SMU. So very, very glad that I didn't have to hear that on Saturday. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. Okay, moving on. Um, yeah, that is one of the top five annoying fight songs that I've. I hate. I hate the. Oh, I hate Boomer Sooner. I hate SMU. I hate the war chant from Florida State. Um, that, that all of that's right up there. You know, I I hate. I hate that little thing that Texas plays. Da 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 da. With 2.14 left in the second quarter, Texas gets their second first down against TCU. Yeah, I hate that stuff. All right, let's get inside of the game here. There's some, let's start with some gripes in that, that turned out to be positives. I thought our offensive line was hot garbage in the first half. You know, I know you count sacks and things like that, but the Frogs had, by my calculation, 26 yards rushing in the first half. The worst part was they were we couldn't run the ball when everybody knew we needed to run the ball. I didn't feel like we got much push. Bailey obviously was not uh, not on track for 100 yards, but over 100 yards, which he obviously ended up with. What did you see in the first half that SMU was doing? Because we had commented on their defensive line is going to be the best defensive line we had played all year, and it proved to be true, especially in that first half. But what did you see in the first half, and then what flipped to be able to turn the tables in the second half as Bailey ran wild? I think SMU is just big and athletic. I mean, like you said, they were the best defensive line that TCU had faced all year up to this point and I I don't know if it was really scheme I, I, I know uh, Willis Patrick struggled a little bit John Lance struggled a little bit right there in the middle I mean they couldn't get you just create any run lanes they you know, Chandler was getting hurried a little bit so <clears throat> I thought I I'm not gonna go as far as saying they were garbage in the first half but that was definitely the worst that they've played in a in a half of football this season. I mean, that that game definitely opened my eyes a lot to, again, how much SMU has improved. And, and really, TCU wasn't playing very good football up front. And I, and I knew they could do better. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was definitely eye-opening. And I don't know what changed for them. Halftime adjustment, uh, adjustments, obviously. But maybe they just got tired of getting pushed around and didn't want little brother – pushing them and decided to enforce their will on them. I, I don't know. I really don't know if anything really changed schematically. I know Kendall wants to, to wants to run the football as much as they can. Uh, as long as it's there, he's going to run the football. And and luckily for TCU, they have a guy named Imani Bailey that made some of those plays basically by himself with his explosiveness. Yeah, Bailey, yeah, Bailey runs for 126. Uh, Trey Sanders – Six carries for 23 yards. He had the long of, of, of 11. But we had Corey Wren in the backfield a few times. Um, he ended up with two carries for, for 12 yards. Uh, you know, nine yards was was his longest run. What What is the decision to start to bring some more people into the backfield? Because Trent Battle was in there some. He didn't get any carries. He should have had a touchdown catch. But <clears throat> it wasn't his fault. Getting Wren, getting Battle. Do you think we're going to see Trey Sanders only in this role of basically being the hammer back? Because unless unless we're trying to do the high hurdles, I think his limitations are pretty clear after four games. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think Jamie and I discussed this in postgame. Imani, they really didn't go into the season wanting to have – they wanted to have a running back by committee. They, they felt like each one of those running backs brought something to the table, but – when you have a guy like Amani that is proving that he can carry that workload, 20-plus carries now, he has 20-plus carries in two games, you're going to ride that high. Uh, obviously, you got to be kind of cognizant of injuries or wearing them, da- wearing them down um, for the rest of the season. There's still a lot of ball games to be played, but I think he's obviously become the feature back. I mean, you're, you're going to trust him. With anything, and like I said last week, the guy just wants to get positive yards. He doesn't dance around in the backfield. He's almost guaranteed to get one or two yards, even if the play is blown up. He's going to get some positive rushing yards. But I don't know how much we're going to see uh, of Trey. I, obviously, I know Anthony Jones likes him. I know he likes his uh, work habits, and he's. It's hard to explain because he's a lot bigger than Amani, but he doesn't 
hit the running lanes like Amani does. He's not as explosive. He doesn't use that big frame that he has just to use it as a battering ram to get some yards. But I, I do feel like he's still a back that can relieve Amani seven, eight, nine times a game. And then if you got a guy like Trent Battle who is coming in spurts, I mean, he's 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 coming along just as a guy that you're right. Chandler missed him on that touchdown. He he should have had an easy touchdown. But I think Trent could get, you know, just being one of those guys that gets four or five carries a game. And let's see what Corey does. I mean, Corey had a couple nice carries. He obviously wanted the ball more. He was <laughs> kind of signaling, I want the ball again um, after one of his runs. But we haven't seen Cameron Cook yet. I, I want to see Cameron Cook get healthy. I want to see you know, what he runs like in a game, what we saw in fall camp. He's pretty impressive. But Amani Bailey, I told Jamie this last night. I really, truly feel that right now he's the best running back in the Big 12. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that assessment. I think he is the best running back in the Big 12. And um, it seems like they're quite comfortable putting the ball in his belly and, and, and seeing what he can do. So 25 yard, or 25 carries, that's a, that's, a, that's a workhorse of a back. And I have a feeling we're going to see that against uh, West Virginia. They've got a hot garbage offense, but their defense is pretty salty. And we're going to have to be able to run the ball to be able to beat them. Well, let's flip over to everyone's favorite topic. Let's talk about quarterbacks, play calling. Who did we throw the ball to? How did everything – let's just focus on Chandler. Chandler comes in 23 of 32, 261 yards. My favorite part, three TDs, no interceptions. I'm going to give Chandler an A-. minus. I thought he played one of his better games of the year, and if this is what he's doing against quality competition, I don't think there's anything to complain about. No, anyone complaining about Chandler still just doesn't like the kid. I mean, that that's the only – positive complaint you can have like I just don't like the kid so I'm going to say he looks bad I mean you're going to just find any little thing about him that's going to make this crazy notion of anyone's opinion that he's a bad quarterback look good uh, I, I really feel like Chandler just keeps improving he's 23 of 32 he should have been 27 of 32 they had four drops again um, one receiver me and Jamie were talking about it. we think he may have more drops this year than he does catches and you know who I'm. Yes. So, yes, it's I it's do. uh it's very it's worrisome that you're starting to you you continue to see those drops. But the thing that makes me impressed about Chandler is my dog is in the background barking like crazy, and I'm about to lose my mind. Uh, sorry. It's all right. Don't worry about <laughs> this, it. This part this, of the this color is, of the yes, show. Yes, this is live podcasting right here, guys. Um, anyhow, his decision making is getting really really impressive. He's not. He's not trying to force things. He's, you know, there's a there's a couple passes that you're just like, man, that is a good freaking pass. I mean, how in the heck did he get that in there? And man, he continues to use his feet. He had one play. It wasn't a designed run, but he had this blindside blitz, and it's coming from his left side. And he sees him at the last second. He avoids that that hit, runs, spins, does something else. Basically gets out of there like Houdini and gets a first down run. I think it was a 13-yard run, something like that. On the, It was on the visitor sideline. But if he continues to make plays like that, this offense is going to keep clicking, keep clicking, keep clicking. Do you know that that guy leads the Big 12 in total offense? Did you know that? I know that now. That guy leads the Big 12 in total offense. We'll see how that – I thought it was Quinn Ewers. I thought he was the second coming of Jesus and Archie and uh, Eli Manning. I haven't I haven't checked the updated stats, but I know coming into that SMU game, Chandler was averaging 334 yards of offense, which was first in the Big 12 and 11th nationally. Anyone complaining about Chandler Morris as your quarterback, knowing that he's putting up those type of numbers, I mean – for your sake, I hope he throws a couple interceptions so you feel proud about yourself. But Chandler Morris is getting it done. There, There's no reason to be complaining about him right now. I don't want to hear they've played Nichols, they've played Houston, they've played SMU, they're no good. He goes out there and does what he, he's expected to do. He's making plays. He's, he's going to continue to get better. As long as that kid stays healthy – my Big 12 prediction of him being the Offensive Player of the Year is looking really good right now. Oh, that is quite a stat. I I, I kind of like that. 
Hey, it was the day of the tight ends. I mean, let's let's talk about it. We obviously had Jared Wiley with five receptions for 30, uh, 37 yards, two touchdowns. Chase Curtis coming out there with 55 yards, leading the Frogs, including that touchdown down there at the end. There's clearly a comfort level with uh, Kendall, with uh, Chandler, as well as the tight ends, that, that the tight ends do more than block and then kind of leak out on the, at the end of the play as a safety valve. I love the development of tight ends in this offense, and I feel like this is this is an underutilized resource that Kendall and Chandler obviously feel quite comfortable getting the ball to, and not just you know running four verticals uh, on three downs and then punting and or scoring a touchdown. What do you say about the development of the tight ends in this offense? Because it's got me excited. Well, number one, that's what we talked about during fall camp. I, I told a lot of you guys, the first thing that I noticed different, even in spring camp, going all the way back to spring camp, the first thing I noticed different about this offense compared to what Garrett Riley ran, tied in involvement. Kendall's going to run a lot of 11 and 12 personnel, and that's the big difference. And you talk to Jared Wiley in spring camp, you talk to him again in fall camp, I mean, his eyes just light up when you ask him about how Kendall Browse involves the tight ends. Three t- uh, three touchdowns yesterday. I think Jared Wiley's going to continue to have a, a, a really good season. Chase Curtis, I love his story. I remember two years ago, they tried to run some kind of play with him. Everyone was like, who? That that was kind of the low moment of the offense. Yes. So let's just acknowledge it. You have a couple guys. Who in the hell is Chase Curtis? And I told you guys that week, watch this guy, because everyone's starting to talk about him a little bit. But he goes he, – he, he's from Pittsburgh, Kansas, goes to play college baseball, decides he doesn't want to play college baseball anymore and decides he wants to walk on at TCU. I mean, he's a big kid. He's athletic. Played quarterback in high school. That kind of tells you what his athleticism is like. But for him to, to be playing the way he is now, and when, when we started to see about ah, – me and Steven Johnson were talking about the Star-Telegram uh, beat reporter – about practice seven or eight, we started to see Chase Curtis kind of emerge as being that guy that was consistently playing behind Jared Wiley. And we started, I started to mention Chase Curtis a little bit more on the practice reports. Hey, be, he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on. And I, when I think of Jared Wiley and Chase Curtis, you know what I think of? I think of Iowa State. When Iowa State had all these big six, 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 seven tight ends and they had three of them and you couldn't cover one of them. And hopefully, we know Jared Wiley's starting to become one of the better tight ends of the Big 12. We hope to see Chase Curtis continue to improve, grow a little bit, and and become another weapon because, man, he's got good size and athleticism, and it'd just be another big weapon to have for uh, Kendall's offense. Well, speaking of Kendall, how did you feel about play calling? Clearly, Frogs – Frog's struggle on third down kind of continues. Six of 15, they did go three of five on fourth down, but I felt like play calling continues to kind of be really strong, and then the moments of weakness are are glaring. Do you, you share that assessment, or am I kind of being a hater? I mean, everyone's going to – there's going to be play calls where you're scratching your head, and I don't – me personally, I don't like the plays behind the line of scrimmage. I want to play in front of the sticks, and – you have you have guys that have speed that are going to be able to get those jet sweeps or get those pitches and, and and make plays into them. Up until Saturday, TCU was really good between the 30s or between the 20s, sorry. But their red zone efficiency was horrible. Against SMU, they were 4 or 5. So that's what I look at as an offense, how when once you get to that promised land, that sweet red zone, how effective are you? And they go four or five. The only time they didn't put any points on the board was the uh, fake field goal, which I looked down. Well, I looked down to type something. I didn't even see what was going on, and I looked up and noticed all hell was breaking loose. And Jordy Sandy's trying to throw a bomb into the end zone. I don't even know what it was. I. I all right, let, let me ask. I don't know if anybody talked about this at the post game. Was that a called fake, or was it just a bad snap that looked like a bad fake? No, it was a fake. It, it was a fake. Um, they they had tried to – And not the prettiest game of the year – play of the year. No. No, it wasn't. And someone said that they saw Sonny just tearing into Tomerdahl, too, on the sidelines. And I, I mean, obviously, they everyone has to agree 
on their headset that, Hey, this is what we're doing. Um, but I mean, it was just tore up from the floor up. I, I really don't know what was going on there, but anyhow, I, you know, just going back to Kendall, I, I felt, I felt like it was a good game. And to me, the 34 points was the most impressive thing to me because I, I really feel like SMU's defense is better than people gave them credit for. A few weeks ago, they're trailing Oklahoma and Norman 14 to 11 late in the, I think is the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. So they, that was a headache of a game for the Super Yeah. So they, they have OU down to 14 points at home. They're playing them. They're playing them extremely close. If Preston Stone maybe has a little bit better day um, running the offense, SMU could have possibly got out of there with an upset. But I, I look, I look at things like that, and I look at okay, so thirty-four points. You had one of Chandler's mistakes, Miss Trent battle on that. That was a beautiful play design, by the way. Every one of us are like, man, that was a freaking sweet play when he just barely overthrew Trent battle. He tried to dive for it. And uh, Trent just just couldn't haul in a, a a great catch attempt, but there's some there's some things that that I'm really liking because he's getting he's getting everyone involved. I think over ten receivers had a catch. You're seeing Amani. He's he's being he's being patient, and that's what I liked about Garrett Riley last year with the run game. Garrett was always patient with the run game. Sometimes when the run game doesn't work, they start getting away from it. They try to do other things. And I think Kendall has shown great patience with the run game. And I also think he's bringing Chandler along perfectly with running him and using him in the run game. Um, there's going to be four or five times where Chandler's going to have to use his legs during the game. And I think Kendall's done a really good job uh, of, of calling those top plays because they're successful right now. And they're also keeping your quarterback kind of healthy. You're not, you're not putting him in harm's way by running him 15, 20 times a game, kind of like what we saw with Max the last three or four years. So I, I think I think Kendall last week, I said he's got an A. I still think he's got an A. I, I still think he's right around that. We don't want to talk about numbers. I think he's right around a 90, 91. And uh, I think when you look at it, that offense, they're, they're going to they're gonna find a rhythm. Eventually, it's all going to click. They're not going to have the stupid penalties. They're not going to play behind the sticks. They're going to catch passes. They're going to. They're. They're. Chandler's going to hit something big early on. There was another play. JP Richard Richardson. It was a thirty-eight yard catch, but everyone in the stands were th- were yelling, "Throw it! Throw it!" Because JP's running wide open downfield. So those little things are eventually going to go away, and it's all going to click one day, and we're going to look up and. TCU might have 50 points on the board. It may be, heck, it may be this coming Saturday. Um, we, we don't know. But I, I eventually think that that offense is all going to click in one game, and we're going we're gonna to start thinking, okay, this TCU team is better than what everyone's giving them credit for right now. Well, let's flip over to the other side of the ball. The Frogs only given up 17 points to, to SMU is it, something of, of note, and, you know, they're – it, I, I feel comfortable with the way the defense played. I think it was probably one of their better games of the year considering, I mean, this is a much better team than Houston. So that's kind of one of the things that we can assess it against. But <clears throat> I want to start with this. I saw a lot of the young guys out there. I saw OB Azar. I want to make sure I say that right. And then Paul, whose last name I'm going to let you talk about. I saw some of these younger guys getting out there playing. Uh, uh, I, I really like seeing uh, J- Johnson out there in the defensive secondary. What did you see on the defensive side of the ball, especially with those younger guys, guys playing D-line and linebacker and in the defensive secondary? I feel like that's going to contribute to the development of this defense. We have these great recruits. We're, we've recruited very well. Get them on the field. Let them develop, um, especially as you start to roll into the meat of the Big 12 uh, uh, schedule. I felt really comfortable with the defense, and I felt even better about who I saw making plays that are going to be making plays later in the year and for a couple of years to come. <clears throat> yeah, Oye Wale is is steadily getting better. You had Big Dom get a sack yesterday, which should have been a safety. I don't know if you have that on your notes to talk about later because Sonny was – I did. Let's, like, let's, let's just dig into it now. Go ahead. Well, Sonny was extremely pissed off about that play. I mean, he didn't hold anything back. He 
he literally called out the American conference. Um, I don't know if they'll, he'll get fined for it or not, but he made it a point to say that was one of the worst calls I've ever seen as a college, uh, as a coach. And uh, that spoke volumes. So I saw the play. We were, we, we were watching it on uh, – we were already in the presser waiting for the game to end, and uh, we were watching it. And to me, it looked – I haven't gone back and looked at the replay. To me, it looked like a safety, but who knows? I mean, that's – you know, what, whatever. But I thought Dom Dom played well. That particular play, Oye Wale just lit up the guard. I mean, he could have probably got called for a blindside hit because he just – he lit – and it opened it opened up the door for Dom to get in there and get the sack on Preston. But just go back and watch that play. Paul's play might have been more impressive than than Dom's. But I was really impressed. Namdi is getting better each week. I know he takes some hell. I don't know why. I don't know why people like to critique certain kids. But to me, he's got thirty three tackles. He leads the team in tackles. He's doing something right. Uh, he 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 keeps making plays each week. And this is his first year as a linebacker. So I'm I'm going to have a little bit of grace. I know you always tell me, Jeff, give some grace, give some grace. I'm going to give preach it, brother. I'm going to I'm going to give Namdi some grace. And I'm going to and I'm going to give him another good grade cuz I really feel like he's played well uh up to this point. He's a really humble kid. I I feel like he has helped in pass coverage. He did get beat on a play yesterday, but every one of them every player on that defense has gotten beat at some point this season. Even Josh Newton, so I'm not I'm not going to be really hard on Nandy, but I am going to be positive with how he's played. I I really feel like he's one of the more impressive players on on that side of the ball this year. Shad Banks, Shad Banks, he doesn't put up a lot of stats, but he just does little things that don't get don't get kept in the in the stat book. I mean he's he's flying to the ball. He's he's got good speed. He's not as instinctive as Johnny Hodges. But he has good instincts, and he's got great ball awareness, and he's he he hits. I mean, he'll he'll knock the snot out of you. I thought Shad Banks did well. I thought the corners played really well. Jamel Johnson's a guy that you mentioned early on. He made two tremendous plays down by the goal line where he basically ran down Preston Stone. That's a true freshman. That's a true freshman making those type of plays in a critical moment. So uh, I, I was really impressed with him, but. I think overall, um, the, the I made a statement in fall camp saying that I really feel like this is the most athletic team TCU's had. When I make that kind of statement, I'm including those young guys that you're asking about, the Jamel Johnson, some of the guys that we haven't seen a whole lot of because I see how they look at 18, and I'm only imagining what the hell are they going to look like when they're 22. Like some of these guys already look like they've been three or four years into the program, so I, I really, I'm really pumped for some of those younger guys uh, getting out there and, and getting some playing time early. But I gave, I gave the defensive line some heck early on in the in the uh, game thread, saying they couldn't get any pressure. But I, I, I had to scale back because Lashley is known to protect with six guys and those poor three defensive linemen were getting double teamed every single play, but I think they overcame it pretty well. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going to continue to get better. All right. Let me hit on a couple of uh, sore subjects here on defense. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Um, what's the deal with Marcel Brooks? Don't talk about playing time. He walk off the field. Is he not in the good graces of the program? Did he uh, not practice well? And we got other guys out there that want to play. Uh, I'm just ask. I'm just asking on behalf of all the boomer message board dudes that don't understand why a five star is not starting the minute he gets on campus. But there's clearly something not quite clicking, and I'd like to hear from you. I run a business on the internet, so I got to watch what I say. But sometimes I hate the internet. I really do. What? Uh, I, I just preached a sermon on that today. No, I honestly do. And I'm not trying to slam the poster that made the comment, but like, I can't tell you how many messages I get or like, Hey, so-and-so stand on the sideline. He looks pissed. Is he transferring? You know, it's just like, if he didn't want to sing the, the alma mater, who gives a crap? 
No one – and, and I, I saw him walking in the parking lot. He looked pissed. He didn't sign an autograph. It's just like it, – it just stirs the pot to me. And there's no reason to stir the pot. Marcel missed almost all of fall camp. All of fall camp. When we were out there practicing, there was not one day where he did not have on a red jersey. You know what the red jersey means? It means no contact. So for 15 practices – he was no contact. And then we then they start preparation for Colorado, which was another maybe four or five practices beyond fall camp. So you, he's he's getting brought along slowly. Marcelli has always been the backup for um Namdi or for uh you know, he was the backup last year behind D. He's going to play b- before Marcel because he's played a lot more football this year. Marcel is athletic as all get out. He, but I, I, I get tired head thinking, you know, just hearing about, oh, let's let him rush the quarterback. Let's let's negate the principles of the three three five defense and let him just do his own thing, which is rushing the quarterback. Let's just forget about what the other ten guys have to do to overcome. This guy who can only be told, hey, get to the quarterback. I get it. Five star, you know, you want to see the guy play. He's a good kid. But man, don't, don't, don't get don't let someone stir the pot like that, man. And by the way, Warren Thompson and Dalen Wright pretty much bicker every day. That was also a non-story. Quit posting crap like that. Oh, I like it. Well, you know, when you said, why can't we just send him in there to rush the quarterback? Does that, does that sound like a dad of a, of a 10U football team that just ignore the principles of defense? Don't worry about reading your keys. Just go get that quarterback. That, uh, that maybe is not the most advanced mindset for uh, Division One football. And, and here's the thing. Like, to me, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, Jamoy's making pretty good plays. Shad's making pretty good plays. Namdi's obviously making pretty good plays. He leads the team in tackles. The linebacker play has been, for the most part, pretty pretty good to me. I know people want to grind, you know, just have an axe to grind with with Johnny. Johnny's not perfect. Johnny misses tackles. So does Jamoy. So so does Namdi. So does every other defensive player. That it, it's it, it it was a very big problem early in the year, but I get it. Marcel, he he he's got that aura about him. He's five star good. He's he's done. He's I'm I don't know how to say this without sounding like just a just an overall just hater. And I and I and I really really like Marcel. I, I he's great in interviews. We want to talk to him all the time. But I I have to ask. What has he done at TCU to make you think he's going to come out there and be all world? I'm 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 asking an honest question. Honestly, what has he done to make you think he's going to be all world? Because I've seen Jamoy Hodge make the same kind of plays Marcel has made. I've seen Johnny Hodges make the same kind of plays Marcel has made. And I've also seen Namdi make the same kind of plays Marcel has made. I just want to hear a logical argument. What has Marcel done at TCU to make you guys think all of a sudden he's going to be this difference maker on defense? Yes, he is 6'3". Yes, he is 200, maybe 210. Yes, he does have good speed. But there's a lot of athletes out there that are very good athletes. Doesn't necessarily always translate to being very good football players. So, again, I would ask, in his time at TCU, don't go back to LSU when he appeared in eight games and had eight tackles, but everyone thought he had 80 tackles. In his time at TCU, give me a logical argument that that guy could come in and make, just be an all-world difference maker right off the bat. I want to see Marcel play more, too, because I love the kid. But I just, I want to, I want to just like, dive into the argument. What makes someone feel like if Marcel's in there, that he's going to be the best guy that, and I know some people are going to say, well, we want to, well, at least let's see if he could be better than Namdi Jamoy or Johnny. 
no one could be as bad as those guys. You know, I, I get that argument too. But the coaches get paid a lot more money than you and I and everyone listening to this podcast to make those decisions. And again, I'm rambling on here, but Marcel has not played near the amount of football that those other guys have played. And that's probably why you see those other guys playing more than what he is right now. Well, let's talk about what I think is a weaker spot on the defensive line. So if I've made you anxious with that question, here, let's, let's go ahead and ramp it up a little bit more. Uh, we need more deal and less Sony Misi. Agree or disagree? <laughs> you're you're hitting. Why why does everyone hate Sony, man? Come on, man. I'm not hating him. Listen, I I get it. Sony Sony. There, there's a drop off there. There's a drop off from Dom to Sony, but there would be a drop off with Dom and a lot of players. Um, beyond TCU's roster. Why don't we we just put Marcel Brooks at nose guard and see what he can do? He'd probably have four sacks right off the bat. Uh, No, to me at that, to me, again, Sony's played a lot of football. And I really feel like Joe wants experience. I think it's why you see them taking guys like Tico Brown and DeBru because those guys athletically, they don't look like Zachary Chapman or Marcus Dill or Avion Carter, but they're a lot more experienced than those guys and they could get the job done a little bit better because um, they've played, they've played a lot of football. Those guys are still very uh, inexperienced. Marcus Dill to me, he looked, he, I mean, he passes the eyeball, eyeball test. I mean, he walks. He walked by me and Jamie uh, going to the locker room at Houston, and we just looked at each other like, man, that is a huge 18-, 19-year-old kid. Um, I would love to see him play more, but I think I think Sony has the trust of Gillespie. I really do. Uh, that's the best answer I could give you. I don't, I don't, I don't dissect him as much as others. Because he's he's a guy that is just he's going to take on double teams. He's not going to have a lot of stats. He's not going to be as good as Dom. But he's a guy that's played a lot of football, and he's a bigger body, and you want to have a big body at that nose tackle position. Well, I agree with you. I'm not I'm not throwing uh, Misi under the bus. I'm just asking. I'm just asking questions. That's all people do on the internet. I'm just asking questions. I mean, how do you know? I'm just asking questions. All right, I want to get a couple of injury updates, and then I want to talk about the post-game press conference because I think uh, Dykes had not only about the, the safety, he had a few other quotable things. Uh, first of all, do we know anything about Helm? He obviously twisted his ankle. doesn't look like it's anything that's going to end his season or end his career, but he got any update on Helm? I think Coleman went back in, and then Johnny Hodges, all three of those in that order. Helm, Coleman, Hodges, what do you got? Uh, Coleman's good. Hodges is kind of – He's going to be week to week. That's what that's what Sonny said. He's they they figured out that he had some type of uh, thumb injury after the Houston game, and uh, he he's going to be basically week to week. Uh, we'll find out something more about Helm probably tomorrow. Um, I think you know he needs to be out there. That's that's a. I thought he played pretty well against SMU. He had a couple nice pass breakups, and he's getting he's kind of he's he's kind of. Uh, falling into his role now, and I, I've, I've liked the way he's played the last two weeks. But if if Helm can't go, then you're going to have Channing Canada, Mason White. I think uh, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with him. We haven't seen much of him. We've saw uh, McMillan more. We're starting to see Vernon Glover more. Uh, he was in there late in the game, so I think um, you know if they, if they don't have Avery Helm, man, that's that's kind of a, a big blow to that defense. Jeff, you're on mute, sir. Sorry, buddy. Um, I want to I want to uh, put you on the spot here. Make sure that I have my my recruiting history correct. I'm not sure. There's hardly any threads on Horn Frog Blitz that I haven't scrolled all the way through from, I guess, 2015 when we came over 2015 2016 when we came over from Scout 24/7. Brandon Crosley, defensive back, 
from Little Elm, he uh, he had a pretty good game. He had he had some good hits. He had some good pass coverage. Was he not committed to TCU at one time, and then was, for a lack of a better term, in, invited to decommit, went out to Colorado State, and then has made his way back and is an impact transfer at SMU? Do I, do I have that right? It would have been like 2018, something like that? I think you might be on the right track. I, man, you're testing my knowledge of one of the thousands of recruits I've talked with and followed. Um, well, I'm a degenerate, so I'm just <laughs> following up. I think it was a situation where he wanted to be at TCU. And, man, you're ass. I, I can't remember if he was committed or not. I, I, I remember kind of sensing that maybe he was committed, and then they went back and watched senior film and thought maybe he doesn't fit well. Or maybe it was he wanted to play. I, I don't know. Dude. Do the research. You threw me. You, you threw me under the bus here. I don't feel like I know what I'm talking about all of a sudden, but I do know that there was some uh, TCU interest there. Little Elm, right? Little Elm, and Little Elm. Yeah. Yep. So he's, <clears throat> yeah, he was a he was a guy that I thought they were going to kind of go after in the portal when when he announced that he was transferring, and there really wasn't interest there either. So, yeah, but that's that's another that's another guy that I think is a pretty good player for them. Yeah, I think he's a pretty good player for them as well. He obviously made an impact early on in that game. Um, I know that. Right, I know that. The, uh, I, I know that the McGill kid, the one that Amani Bailey shook pretty good at the ten yard line for that twenty four yard touchdown run. I know he wanted to be at TCU really bad. He ended up going to. He he played a lot of football at Stanford, so that's an, another good guy that they got from the portal. Yeah, they got a lot of Power Five transfers, and like I said, they're not just all washouts. They they got some guys that I feel like um, have, have elevated their their program. Well, Sonny had a few things to say at the end of the game at the press conference. He he was asked, "What do you think about the the Iron Skillet series coming to an end?" What can you, can you give us his his one word answer of seeing that game come to its conclusion? He said, "Hooray!" That's all he said. Hooray! It just kind of. <laughs> It was funny because I didn't know if he was going to elaborate or not, but Jamie didn't really give him time. <laughs> he said hooray, lasted about three seconds, and then Jamie went into a question. But you could tell that I think I think it's I think it's time. And it would I mean, I know someone posted on the board that they're hearing that this might have been the last game, that they're not gonna they're not gonna play in uh twenty four, twenty and twenty five and I haven't heard that, but it wouldn't shock me if that came came to fruition because I just just that that kind of game it's 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 ready to be over with. I'm just telling you. I, I'm I am so mixed on my emotions for for two reasons. One, I I, I know what Donati wants to do, and I agree with it. We want to be a team that has one Power Five home and home series going. And then has two home games. We need two home games. We need to play an FCS game. We need to play, you know, Arkansas State or Texas State or New Mexico or you know something like that. We need a a, a mid level G five home game for people to to get out there and spend money. I get that. I also just in the grander theme, I hate the death of regionality of college football. Like college football at its best is when you've got you know people you work with, putty you know. You, you know the the fellow dad on your kid's little league team, and he's a fan of SMU. Well, not SMU. He's a fan of Tech, or he's a fan of Baylor or Oklahoma State. And we're it, all of this is just disintegrating, and that I hate. And there is there is value to regional rivalry. There is value to saying they're not our rival. We don't believe in them. They're we're their Super Bowl. I kind of like that. I like the college football has that that spunk, that that nastiness. I love that they don't want to play the game anymore. I think in some ways that's the best argument to keep playing it, but it's coming to an end, and I completely understand why, just like I understand why Oklahoma and Texas went to the SEC, just like I understand why uh, Arizona and Arizona State came to the Big 12, even though they didn't they didn't really want to. And it's just one more thing I lament that I really, you know, we really don't have any say over, but we, we still have all these regional rivalries that are some of them. We still have Tech. We still have... Baylor. We still have Oklahoma State. There's value in that, but there there was just something fun about 
complaining about how we don't want to play this game and then go out there and beat six, 18 of 22 and there are two of their most recent wins are from our head coach. I thought that was fun. And I think that that's kind of dying. So I think I'm, you think I'm off Jeremy. Yeah. It's maybe it's just a TCU fan and you want to rub it into your SMU buddies. Um, they want to, I, I officially game. have never met an SMU fan in my life. <laughs> they, they want another home game. And, you know, you got Arkansas State that you, you talk about just to have an regional. Invite North Texas down. Okay. Invite Tulsa down for a game. The, the thing about SMU, SMU wanted to make it a home and home. And they don't want to do a home and home anymore. They don't need to be doing a home and home with SMU. It's, it, it's done. They have your, have your decent P5 team that you play. You can make a home and home with. You have your FCS, like you mentioned. Then you have a G5, maybe a regional G5. Invite New Mexico. Invite New Mexico State. Just something something close. But you're never going to do a home-and-home home with Arkansas State. You're never going to do a home-and-home home with New Mexico, New Mexico State, North Texas. You're, you're, you're going to have those guys come to your field every year, and that's what they want. They want that, other, they want that additional game. And I don't blame them one bit for doing that because SMU was never ever going to agree to have a home game in Fort, you know, have a game in Fort Worth every year. Just like TCU wouldn't agree to play in Dallas every year, it was never going to work. No, I agree with that, and like I said, I I understand that, and I agree with that. I just I hate that it's just one more thing of college football that's fun that's that's dying. So, <sighs> well. I, you know, we could we could look at a game or two around the country. I think I'll just end on this. Uh, two games that I want to highlight. One is the end of that Ohio State-Notre Dame game was pretty darn fun. And I don't know if you saw this, but with one second left, Ohio State ran the ball in to win the game. Into, it's time expired. And Notre Dame had 10 guys on the field coming out of a timeout. That... You know, you talked about these guys make more money than you do. Well, I think I could have gotten 11 guys on the field. I mean, I kind of felt bad. I really like Freeman, their coach, and I hate everything about Ohio State all the way down to their existence. So I don't know if you caught the end of that, but that was a heartbreaking way to lose a game. Don't talk bad about Ohio State. Ryan Day will call you out, man. He'll call out. If he calls out, <laughs> if he calls out Lou Holtz, you're in trouble. Do you want to – yeah, I, I watched that game. What was the other game that caught your attention? Colorado got curb stomped, boat raced, thrown in the river with cement blocks around their ankles. <laughs> I, I I saw the Dan Lanning speech that before that he gave. We're in this for wins, not clicks. This game this game isn't being played in Hollywood. This game is being played on the field. That that is right up there with that speech that sadly frog fans have probably seen on Twitter that Kirby Smart gave before the national championship game that. Oh, they're not losing. That was one of the. That was that was a great speech. That was that. I just wanted to acknowledge that, and it's our fault. You know, if 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 the offense could have just scored one more, put one more score on the board, this whole Dion train would have been deflated. But it got boat raced on Saturday, and I'm here to tell you, I was eating it up. I got nothing against Dion, honestly. I kind of, I think he's good for the game, and I, I like that he talks smack. I like that he's got attitude. I just hate that TCU lost to him. TCU was – they had to take the sacrifice in that game for Colorado because here's the thing. I tell everyone this. TCU had to watch 500 feet of film, and everyone else that they've played have to watch 10 feet of film. It was so hard for TCU to prepare for that game, not only for just the different coaches, the different players are facing. I think if TCU played Colorado again – I think it's I think it's at least a two touchdown win for the Frogs, if not more. I I, I really feel that way. But that that was kind of we talked about. Hey, we got to root for Colorado. We got to root for Colorado. I started to lose my respect for Colorado a little bit when you know Matt Rule made the com or not Matt Rule, but Jay Norvell made the comment. You know, when I was growing up, I took my hat off, I took my sunglasses off. My mama taught me this and this and that. Whatever, it's you know it is what it is. But what I didn't like about that is they're they're using all this little things to make it personal, like they're Michael Jordan, and they have to find something to make it personal. Got to make it personal. Grievance culture. Yes. Grievance culture. Yes. And so 
the thing that really turned me off about that is after the game, you see Shador Sanders doing an interview with a cap and glasses on. He's just like shoving it in their face. They're getting, they're getting very cocky about things. And it was nice to see them get their tails kicked the way it did. I mean, I, I loved it. Oregon just took them to the backyard and just whooped them around the field as long as they wanted to. The funniest thing about that game was before the game when the Oregon mascot came down and was hitting this big clock, and the the dude's hitting it, and then his head flies off. The, the clock says prime time. Yes, the clock says prime time. So the Oregon mascot's hitting the dude's hitting it, and his head flies off, and the and the dude in the mascot uh, costume runs up the tunnel like he's Napoleon Dynamite run, running off stage at the end of his dance. It, that was the funniest thing that I think I saw from that game. Yeah, yeah, that that was a fun game. The as they just kept running it up and running it up, I, f- I finally changed the channel. But yeah, that was a good game to be able to experience. So, well, we didn't even get into it, but Frost got West Virginia this week. Neil Brown is surprisingly not on the hot seat as we all thought. So, West Virginia is three and one. We'll see what comes on Saturday night at seven o'clock at Amon G Carter Stadium. Frog fans, I got to tell you, get out there. Get out there and support the Frogs. We need uh, another win. Going to go, go, moving to two and zero in Big Twelve uh, play will will go a long way to continuing to build in this season. Jeff, it's still wide open. This conference is wide open. It's a good day because Baylor is one and three. Texas Tech's one and three. You think you think TCU has issues like their fans think on offense? Go watch Tech. They're they're ready to run Kitley out of town. Um, and they don't really have a quarterback right now. They it, it, they may be starting a true freshman by the end of the year. Texas is still there. That's going to be a tough. They, they're they're the bell cow right now. They're 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 playing really well. Oklahoma did not play very good against Cincinnati. That often, yeah, it's not a very good Cincinnati team. Kansas, I think this is a good year. TC doesn't have to go play Kansas. Kansas Kansas looking pretty good. They beat BYU. Kate four and zero for the second straight year. Yeah, I mean that that coach right there is getting it done. But if you if you just look at overall, I'm not I'm not fearful for that game in Lubbock on a Thursday. Not as much as I was before the season. Now they're still going to be riled up, especially if TCU comes into that game ranked um, pretty decently. But I, I really feel like we saw Baylor. Baylor Baylor is not a good football team. Baylor had no passion. Their announcers were basically calling their players out on, during that game. They just don't have any passion to play right now. They don't have an offense. And I'm I'm sure you guys that watch that game could pro- probably see why Sawyer Robertson didn't want to compete with Chandler. Like that's he, he he's struggling a lot right now. That uh, looked bad. Yes, that 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 was very bad. But be Miranda on the hot seat is real. Yeah. I mean BYU. If you can stop their run game, you're going to win. That's 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 the thing with them. But this, I'm still feeling. I, I feel revitalized about our prediction, Jeff. It may not be 11 and one, but I still, I still don't see any reason why this team can't be playing in Arlington in early December. Yeah, I don't see any reason why either. I feel like the Big 12 is wide open. Um, Kansas State looked pretty good against UCF. They've they've got talent, but I don't I don't see anything to can, you know to keep building. So you know, get the win against West Virginia, and then you know see, see how it shakes out through the middle of the season. Our, everybody said, hey, there's no reason the Frogs can't be seven and zero. Well, at this moment, I think the easier, the better way to say it is, I don't see any reason the Frogs can't be seven and one. Because we're looking at, we looked at that bye week as kind of the break of the season. Well, coming off the bye, we got that Thursday night game in Lubbock, like you said, that, you know, shock everybody that said Tech is going to be this season's TCU. Well, when they play for the national championship, call me in Lubbock. Call me, people in Lubbock, because I think the Frogs could, could, could be 7-1, and one, and I don't see anything that, that, that should be an insurmountable obstacle. Biggest thing out there is that, that trip to Manhattan, so... 
We'll see how it all shakes out. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. Uh, we're right here at an hour. We'll be back next week, hopefully, to recap a big win over West Virginia. If you haven't yet, please uh, subscribe to hornfrogblitz.com. This is a great place for you to stay connected to everything that's going on inside of TCU sports, not just football. Jamie Plunkett, Jeremy Clark have amazing content they are spitting out, not just on game day, but during the week. They do a post-game video that I really like. You're going to see that in post-game thoughts. But please go ahead and sign up for uh, – uh, hornfrogblitz.com. We'd love for you to do that. And as always, like and subscribe to the Frogcast. Give us a rating and review. Uh, get your parents' phone out and subscribe to the Frogcast on there. They won't even notice, but it'll help our numbers, and we'd really appreciate that. So until we get together next time, for Daniel Southern and for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast.